Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and on the other side of the country, I have Cecil Phillip with me. What's going on, Cecil? Hey, how's everybody doing? I'm actually getting over a little bit of a throat infection that I picked up. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you have little babies running around your house, right? You pick up yeah, little things right. like these sometimes. But um, I'm doing a lot better, and uh, you know, I'm really excited to let everybody hear what we have um, in store for this episode. That's right. Welcome to episode 12. Congratulations, Cecil. Episode 12. Congratulations to you too, sir. We, we're, uh, <laughs> we're doing some good work here, I think. Yes, we're we're better than the average podcast. The average podcast last eleven episodes. This is twelve milestone. I think what's even more exciting is how many more we have in the pipeline that are you know on the way. Oh yeah, yeah. You guys are going to be in some treats. But you know, one of the things that I've been working on, Cecil, as you already know, is getting analytics from our Apache logs as far as who's been downloading and where they're from and, and getting all that going. And so I've been using the new Power BI to do a lot of that stuff in conjunction with some C Sharp and some other web services to, you know, to clean the IP addresses and find out where they're from. And it's been really cool to kind of mess with that kind of stuff and seeing how Power BI has grown over the last four months. But one of the things that bubbled up really clearly was that away from the keyboard is just not listened to not just Florida, which we thought that all this was going to be. We started off, it was, we thought it was just going to be a Miami thing or a Florida thing, and that's it. And it's just not the United States either. A quarter of our traffic comes from all over the world. Yeah, that just really goes to show you how small the internet makes the world. You know, I, I never would have thought that we would have had people in australia or the philippines or or even in africa right listening to the show at least not this early in the game but yeah you know south africa zimbabwe nigeria i mean it it is really blowing i think it's blowing my mind i know it's blowing yours yeah that's amazing man yeah so we're 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 listened to in every continent except antarctica what's up antarctica man what's your problem dog (laughs) and (laughs) Uh, 44 different countries that we have had listens to, which is really amazing to us. And I want to thank uh, each and every one of you as our listeners for, for checking us out, for giving us a chance. And I hope that you've heard a progression that we just keep getting better and better. And we're continuing to try to get better every episode and give you a, a little bit of glimpse into some of these technologists, you know, career and their life. Yeah, so we're we're definitely excited about reaching everyone. And again, for you guys that are in Antarctica, please let's let's hurry up and get to it, man. Like you guys are holding back the record. <laughs> so, what have you been up to, Cecil? So for me, I'm finally gotten to reschedule my .NET Miami talk. I think this is going to be the third time that we've we've tried to make this happen. You know, for yeah, weird weird things have happened. To, yeah, for, for you to try to get this talk. Yeah, for one reason or another, it it just was a little bit difficult for it to happen before. And so I'm finally, you know, really excited and hopeful that, you know, this will go through just as we planned it. And, you know, I'll be able to go and give my talk. But 
what I've been doing over the past, you know, couple of days or so now is like going back in and looking over the demos and, and trying to really refine like the demo material. You know, I think it's always good to get quality slides and content, but you know, we're room of developers. We really want to see code, right? We want to really want to see what, you know, the topic that you're talking about, what we can actually do with it. And I think it's really important that you get demos that help tell that story, you know, of the message that you're trying to push forward. Yeah. So I've been really trying to spend some time doing that. Yeah, I, I mean, that's one thing that I know I haven't done a great job in every presentation I've given with cohesive demos. And I know with the next couple of presentations that, that I'll be doing at Code on the Beach and at the, the past summit, I definitely want to clean those things up. Definitely. So for all of our listeners, if any of you guys are in South Florida, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll probably be about two days or so just before the actual uh, day of the event. And I'll be speaking at .NET Miami on July 16th. And I'll be talking about building mobile applications with Xamarin Forms. So if you're around, if you're in the area, you know, make sure you come by. Also, if you're going to be around the Jacksonville area on August 7th through the 9th, Code on a Beach is coming up. Cecil and I will both be speaking at Code on a Beach. It's going to be at the One Ocean Resort. When they say on the beach, they literally mean is on the beach. I mean, you're right there. A couple steps outside of the hotel and there's the beach. I think one of the sessions are actually scheduled to be at least like 10 feet out into the water. So I hope you have like a waterproof <laughs> laptop and you know, I hope the wireless can actually reach all the way out there. I hope that's mine. <laughs> I hope that's my presentation because I'll be like, what's up? Right. Uh, I don't forget what I'm talking about. Let's go in the water. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But if you use code AFTK, you're going to save $75. So go ahead and do that. Who we talk to today, Cecil? So today we'll be talking to Mr. Kendall Van Dyke. Kendall's a database strategist, community advocate, public speaker, and blogger. A practice IT professional with over 15 years of SQL Server experience, Kendall excels at disaster recovery, high availability planning implementation, and debugging slash troubleshooting mission-critical SQL Server environments. So for a second there, I thought you were just going to say Kendall excels at disaster, and that's it. You know, I'm not going to get into whatever you two guys have going on, man, like... You guys just keep going at each other all the time. You know, yeah. Sometimes you know, you just you got some friends that you just like to poke each other, and you know, that's, that's kind of what we got. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. So Kendall is a principal consultant at Upsearch SQL. That's Upsearch dot com, a Microsoft MVP, and president of Magic Pass, the Orlando, Florida based chapter of Pass. And you can see that at magicpass.sequelpass.org. That's right. And this episode was recorded on June 13th, 2015 at SQL Saturday South Florida in the Speaker Lounge. But I don't think there was anybody in the Speaker Lounge at the time. <laughs> so it's a pretty crystal clear recording. You don't have to worry about people opening doors and walking in or anything like that. I think that actually adds some character to the recordings when we're able to get that type of stuff. But, yeah, you know, this time yeah. we didn't have any. Nope, nope. It was pretty quiet. I guess everybody was enjoying sessions and going out and doing that. I was kind of hoping that we'd have at least one door open, but <laughs> wasn't able to get that. So here's our conversation with Kendall Van Dyke. And now, away from the keyboards feature conversation. Hey, I know a little something about cooking, too. 
because I cook for my user group every month. Oh, do you? What do you mean? Yeah, I don't do the pizza thing for my user group. Okay. You get the sense I got the food thing going on here. So I'm not, sure. I'm not a foodie. I'm not really big into that. But I've got four kids, and so I'm used to cooking for an army. Right. I got and that. I'm into Boy Scouts, too. So if I'm going to have a user group meeting and there's 20 people there, that's really no different. You got to feed the out, troops, right? man. You got to feed them all. So yeah, we, we do some interesting stuff. I've done pulled pork before. Nice. Uh, I've done tacos, which is really easy. A lot of, sure. I, I'll share a secret. A lot of it is just what you can throw in a slow cooker. Yeah. Right. Just cook it throughout the course of the day. Get like and, a crock pot. And yeah. Like but actually it, it puts, I think it puts a nice personal touch on it because it makes it something different. I mean, you go to a user group meeting, not that there's anything wrong with pizza, but I think two things happen there. One is it plays into the whole stereotype of, you know, nerds eating pizza kind of thing and yeah. drinking Mountain Dew like you talked about. But yeah. I think the other thing it does for you is it gives it really that personal feel. We make it a point, too, and, and when we do my user group meetings. Um, and I, I run a chapter. It's called Magic Pass in Orlando. And uh, Isn't I it quaint? It yeah, Isn't you it get quaint? the tie into the area, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, Mickey actually is at every single meeting. We've got a six-foot-tall Mickey statue that comes to all of our meetings. It's pretty cool. We meet at the Disney Vacation Club, too. So how can it not be tied into Magic Pass? <laughs> Although I'm just waiting for one of these days for Disney to, to say, you know, Magic Pass, what does this have to do with Disney? And throw some kind of like registered copyright trademark thing at me or something like that. I don't that, think but. they've registered Magic yet. I think the whole city of Orlando has yes. a registered trademark on, on but they Magic. They own like um, superhero, right? Because they own Marvel, and doesn't Marvel own the name of super, Marvel like and superhero? DC have both have the trademark of superhero? For both superhero, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So as long as you don't have superhero or anything like that in your name, you're fine. No, I haven't done those themed things yet. But anyways, we do cook uh, for every every meeting. I think it, it gives it that personal touch. I think I've been to a lot of meetings where. You'll get your food, you'll kind of sit down and you're eating dinner while you're listening to the speaker. And then when the meeting is done, you're just sort of like up and out of there and everything's over with. And we make it a point that we want to sit down. We want to be a welcoming community. Sure. That's part of what PASS is kind of about is we all, we've always said we want uh, PASS to be a welcoming community. And so we, um, we make it a point. We sit down, we have dinner, we talk shop, you know, we, we get to know each other a little bit better and we sure. spend 30 minutes actually not meeting, just Having dinner together. Yeah. that Actually, that's pretty cool. You, you get more of a, that community flair. It, it's definitely a way to build relationships. Yeah. And I think that's the other part about going to a user group meeting that we always push. Whenever you talk to anybody who says, oh, you got to go to your user group meeting, you got to, you know, you've got to meet other people. Well, if you go to the meeting and you're just listening to a presentation and just bolt when you're done, how is that really meeting people? Yeah, exactly. Well, at that point, you could do better just staying at home watching a YouTube video. Right. And so that's that's part of the thing. When I started the group, I said, I really want to make this an experience for people that they're going to get something out of it, both professionally, personally. And so that's why I do the dinner thing. And it's been hard some months, I have to admit. You know, when you have to cook dinner ahead of time, you're like, okay. And I'm a consultant. So you're like, all right, am I going to lose four billable hours cooking something to eat? Or am I just going to cop out and order pizza this month? You know, it's been a struggle some months. So I've, I've done the pizza thing. Sure. But um, I've done it long enough now that if you plan in advance, you go out and get things in advance and, and uh, pre-cook stuff and just warm it in the slow cooker all day long. It ends up not eating up a whole lot of time. And, and I think it gives people that uh, that nice experience. Yeah, we, uh, we've been doing sandwiches, I think, uh, for Dotton in Miami since our inception. We didn't, we, we didn't want to do the pizza thing. So yeah. um, I think Jimmy John's is what we've been doing. Uh, we, since we're at a new location this month, I think we maybe do something else. But um, it's something that we could just order quick, grab it, and then sure, and then and head off there. Because I'm not a chef, I'm not a cook. I just I, I don't want anything to do with that. You know, and the sandwiches have been working out pretty well. You know, it's you know it's not messy, but it's like, it's quick and easy. And then you know you could sit and you know while everybody's talking, you could sit and eat, and it kind of just works out. What what I think it does is also um, we don't order for everybody, right? We order essentially for half the people that are going to be there, and then it essentially becomes like finger food. 
right? Mm. So the sandwiches aren't large. They're just kind of cut up in like finger food. And then it kind of holds everyone over until the after party. And so everyone will go and usually order something at the after party. Yeah, and then, 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 you know, there's the, the big food, right? Like, yeah. the burgers and, you know, whatever whatever you want to eat. You know, and that's where everybody order. pays for it on their own, too. That's right. right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> no, we we do something store. similar. We, we get together uh, at a place that's just up the road from us. Mm-hmm. We, we've got a good core group of five or six people who always go out after every meeting and just have some drinks and talk shop. And, sure. But uh, they don't order food because I feed them pretty well at the meeting. <laughs> yeah, there you nice, go. Nice. But hey, what better way to, to bond with like your fellow developer, right? Over than um, over some food. DBA. Sure. And I've cool. had plenty of people tell me DBA, too that so. they don't care what the subject is; they just come for the meeting and for the, and the, for the food. Sure. So that's kind of a nice. I, it's a nice compliment, I think, to get that. That's from what people. I tell this guy sometimes. I only come to the meetings for the food, man. After work, I'm hungry. I need to eat. <laughs> I'm not lying. I'm being honest. I know you're not lying. That's why I'm laughing. That's why it's funny. <laughs> So tell us, Kendall, um, a little bit about yourself. Like, what are some of the things you do, again, outside of, so we, you just spoke about your, your group, and we know that you like to cook. So what are some of the other things you like to do? Well, I mentioned I've got four kids, so that keeps me pretty busy. I can imagine. Yes. Um, it, it, it certainly keeps me on my toes. Uh, I've got one boy and three girls, and so I've got my fair share of, of Boy Scouts on one side and Girl Scouts on the other side, and, and um, lots of everything in between all over the place. And their age range is pretty spread out too. One's, uh, my oldest is in his teens and my youngest is two. Wow. So on any given day, I go from trying to explain the difficult questions in life to changing diapers. And that makes it pretty interesting. That's a pretty dynamic um, situation. Right there. Yeah, I, I'm a consultant. I work from home. And so it's kind of nice. I get the opportunity to see them throughout the course of the day. That's fantastic. Uh, it, it's, well, it's a curse and a blessing. I think anybody who works from <laughs> home knows that. You know, when, you, when you're on a call with a client and you hear the two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum in the background and you're like, close the door, close the door. Right, I'm on right. a call. Where's the mute button? Yeah, right. Uh, but it, it's certainly a, a wonderful experience to be able to be home with them and be able to do things with them uh, throughout the course of the day. And so I, I, that's one thing that certainly keeps me on my toes. Um, outside of technology, outside of work, um, um, I love space. I love flying. I love rockets, which is really nice that I live in Orlando because I can see rocket launches out of my backyard. Yep. Uh, it was really nice when the space shuttles were going up. That was a, a really easy trip to make over to the coast and watch a shuttle launch and then get back. And uh, boy, I miss those days. But hopefully some of that will be coming soon Sure. with some of the heavy rockets. And then I'm not a, an avid exerciser. I wouldn't say that, but I'm, I'm definitely into running and staying fit and keeping healthy. And so... Um, Couple that with being a DBA, I'm a little OCD about keeping track of stuff that I eat during the day and running and calories and all that other fun stuff. And I guess I play that game of life, right? Where sure. uh, level up, you know, earn the badge for going out and running five miles kind <laughs> nice. of thing. Achievement unlocked. Yeah. Gamification of, of uh, health right there. Yep. Yep. Hey, you know what? As long as it keeps me around and keeps me fit, though, I can't complain. So I, I did see that you got your pilot license when you were pretty young. I did. Yeah. I so, did ground school when I was in high school. Uh, I was in the junior ROTC, Air Force Junior ROTC. I always thought when I was growing up, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Hmm. And so one day in, in the class, they announced that there was a ground school that was happening at a local community college. I think I was a sophomore in high school. I went and took 11 weeks worth of ground school, thought it was pretty cool. I said, if this is you know the direction I'm going to go in life, I might as well earn my pilot's license. My dad was really supportive. And as soon as I passed the ground school test, uh, he started taking me out and doing flying lessons. And wow. I soloed at 15. Um, so I, you were flying before you had a car. Yeah, and I, I wow. soloed at 15. I got my license at 17. 
And I did not have a driver's license once I got my pilot's license. Wow. So it was really fun. I could tell people, I'll give you a ride in an airplane, but you've got to take me to the airport first. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, who needs a car when you can fly, right? Yeah. It was, uh, it was certainly a lot of fun. I'm not current anymore. Um, you know, you got to stay current by going every two years and get renewed. And sure. I went into college and just didn't stay up with it. And obviously, I didn't end up going into the you know, being a fighter pilot. I'm a DBA instead, which is completely the opposite direction. But um, life works out in funny ways. And so... One of these days, I'll get back to flying, but I never lost that passion. I still love airplanes. Uh, it's great being over near Lakeland. Every year, I go over to Sun and Fun and take my kids over that and tell them about the days when I was flying airplanes and answer all their questions about what it's like. Right. And we watch an air show and hear some big, powerful jets run overhead, and you know they like it. I do, too. Interesting. I used to go to school in Florida Tech, so which is you know close to Cocoa Beach, um, Melbourne area, and we always used to go over to the causeway whenever the shuttles would take off yeah and that was always fantastic you know we'll get a cooler it'll be some you know um some beverages some food and you know it was always just a really exciting time for for that what is it i don't know not even 10 minutes maybe of of seeing the shuttle take off and you know just watching it like go out into space and like you know the imagination that you have behind it about wow like i wonder what those guys are going to do when they get up there and i wonder what they're going to see and you know i I wonder what that experience is going to be like you know to, to to be able to go through something like that you know, but it was always such a, uh, I guess like you could say it's an uh, educational time for us, you know, because you hear about it, but now you actually get to see it. Sure. You know, and seeing it, you know, and seeing it and hearing about it is always, always very different. Yeah, there's nothing like feeling the rumble of the engines from the space shuttle. You know, you, you see it. Uh, most people get, I, I guess, the causeway is about 12 miles away. That's about the safest point that they'll let the general public. Yeah. But that's still close enough that you you hear it and you feel it in your body. Sure. And it's really cool when you get to have that kind of an experience. Mm-hmm. And um, you talk about the educational experience behind it. Uh, you can still see some pretty cool stuff today, even though the space shuttles aren't flying. You know, living in Florida, we get to see the space station fly overhead a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. So especially during the summertime, I like to take my kids out back. And I'll point out to them, you know, there's six people flying over your head faster than a bullet, right. you know, and start to sh- and, and then I can go take them inside and I can say, and here's the YouTube video that they just posted earlier today about That's how right. you wash your hair in space yep. and how you clip your nails in space. Yep. And, right. and, and they really like that kind of a stuff. And I, I'll admit it. I like it too. It's kind of fun. It brings out the, the geek side of you. Sure. Do you ever go to the Kennedy Space Center with your kids? Uh, I do occasionally. Um, we haven't been back in a while, but I actually have family that works in the space industry. Mm-hmm. And so we've gotten some pretty cool experiences um, that most other people haven't. Uh, we've been able to get into things like the family days at Kennedy Space Center. Mm-hmm. And so I've been able to take the kids like right into the middle of the VAB, back back before they even let the tours go through the VAB. I've been right. able to take the kids you know, underneath a space shuttle that was actually working and sure. being in service and uh, and take them through the VAB. And we've been out to the pad a couple of times and seen that. So they they enjoy the experience. Uh, I need to get back though. I haven't been back there since they put Atlantis the Atlantis exhibit up, and I right. hear it's really awesome. Really, you haven't been no, there yet? No, I haven't. Oh I, you know, my I, gosh! I've seen Discovery. This is the the ironic things. I've seen Discovery up in Washington D.C., yep. but I haven't seen Atlantis, and it's closer to home. Wow! So I definitely no. need to get over there. I've heard they've done a really good job. With it that. is a, it is really amazing, and you know we we took our kids. Uh, I guess about when they first opened up it was when the first month that they had opened up, and they loved it i mean they were just so enamored with just the, not only the spatial being there but the interaction exhibits and they've got this really steep slide that uh, patterns how the shuttle falls to earth not flies but falls to earth and you know so they would go through and they they would do their s turns and then they go around and they would go down the slide and they they go back and do it again and they have a little play area which looks like the iss hmm. and so and it and it kind of hovers over 
you know, this, this huge building and they're, you're looking down and you're like, I hope this doesn't fall, you know? And it's, it's really a cool experience for, for the kids. And of course you take a look at it at the Atlantis because it's so close and it's, you get a lot closer, I think in the Atlantis exhibit than you do, you know, any other, um, uh, shuttle experience you have, you see, you not just the foam tiles, which everyone, uh, you know, hears about, but you see the blankets that they sew into it. You see the felt on the wings and it's like, oh my gosh, this is foam, felt, and cloth, and that's how they protected the space shuttle um, on launch. And it's just, it's just, and then they had people there on the weekends that actually worked on the space shuttle, so you get to interact with them as well. You know, one guy um, we talked to was on the landing gear. The other guy was a seam, the other woman was a seamstress, and she just had so much knowledge about you know how how they, uh, the shuttle worked, and you know as far as the textiles they put into it. It's really a cool experience. I, I think as sad as I am about the space shuttle not flying anymore, I'm glad that, that they've done what they have with the exhibits and giving people that close-up experience. Right. I don't think a lot of people really uh, had the, the intimate knowledge of what it takes to go into space and, and the technology behind that. Um, you know, People just think, oh, you can just go up to space. Why don't you carry your iPod with you? And they don't realize things like it has to be radiation yeah, shielded and right. tested and, and really battle-hardened to be able to do that stuff. And I, you know, a lot of people probably see the space shuttle on TV and they think, oh, it's nice and clean and and they keep it pristine. And then you get to see it up close and you see all the marks and everything from re-entry and all the dirt and everything. And yep. you realize they don't clean that thing in between launches. And it, it's really been through a lot. Yeah. And it's an amazing experience. So I'm glad that they've at least done a really good job with the museum exhibits and, and give people a better understanding and appreciation. I'm just looking forward to the next thing now, though. I really miss being able to see a rocket launch in yeah. person. Right. You know, the other thing that... Um the, the the most recent time that we went, I did a, it's called Fly with an Astronaut, where we actually had an astronaut tour. And this guy, his name was Tom Jones. He flew in the uh, space shuttle four times. And what was curious about that is that he wasn't really sad that the shuttle wasn't flying anymore. And that, and that kind of scratched my head. And he went to explain that, you know, the shuttle really wasn't safe for astronauts as far as when you're launching. There was no um, e- evacuation. It, it was... The shuttle either lands or it doesn't, right? If there's something that went wrong, and obviously we saw that with Challenger, there's no way for the um, the crew to get out safely during a launch. And that was really his big thing. It's like, well, with the new SLS uh, system that they will be uh, having, they will have the facility to um, kind of jettison themselves away from a rocket if something happens in the middle of a launch. And so... That, you know, taking uh, that look from an astronaut perspective was really interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that, just like you said, the design of the space shuttle, as cool as it was, uh, it really was a, a boondoggle for all for all intents and purposes. It was sold as one thing and, and ended up being something else that was a lot more costly. But what else, or what isn't in the government these days, right? Right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, the design of it was definitely not safe. I give a, a talk, I'll tie this into the whole databases thing. I give a talk about disaster recovery and, and high availability. And um, yeah, the space shuttle really didn't have much in the way of disaster recovery capabilities. It yeah. had plenty of high availability capabilities with the multiple engines on the back of it. But just like you said, you know, we saw that even with Columbia, yeah. with uh, one little piece of foam that fell off and put a hole in the wing, and and that was it. That was all it took yeah. to take an entire space shuttle down. And and uh, yeah, that the design uh, from the early days of the space program is what we're actually going back to because it is safer. Yeah. You know, stick something on the very front of the, of the rocket and there's not a lot there to hit it and damage it. 
Right. And, well, the other thing is that, you know, um, in front of what you said, the vehicle assembly building, they brought us in front of it, and then they had the actual rockets on the nose that will pull the SLS um, spacecraft away from the rocket. And so we were able to get real close to that test um, nose cap, I guess, that they have. that, And then they showed us a video of all that. And it was really cool. It's like, oh, so they really are, you know, this really does work. And they've been testing it, and they're, and they're getting ready to uh, actually put, you know, hu- Americans back into space without having to use a Soyuz rocket. Hmm. Yeah, I think SpaceX has done a lot for people recently. Um, love them or hate them, you know, what they're doing, uh, what Elon Musk is doing with SpaceX and, and putting uh, the PR spin on everything and, and showing people all the different tests that they're going through. I think it's a great thing. It's actually getting people excited. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny because you talk to people who are actually in the space industry, and I've got several family members who are. And they're more on the side of hate them because uh, they're the old, I, I guess you could say the old school sure. NASA people, right? And the things that he's doing doesn't quite uh, sit with them right. the way that they're used to doing. So he's definitely being disruptive. But I think in some ways it's a good thing to be disruptive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's getting people really excited about spaceflight and technology and they want to be a part of it. And um, it makes me think about, too, what NASA's done with the NASA socials. Have you heard about those before? I I actually was fortunate enough to go to STS-132. I was at their NASA social. It was the second one they'd ever done. It was an Atlantis launch. And it's great because it connects people directly with people in the space industry. Mm -hmm. And it allows you to get that perspective on what it actually takes to make this stuff happen. I think even people who work in technology on a day-to-day basis don't really have a a really good understanding of what it takes to go into space or what it takes to build some of this machinery. And when you get the chance to connect with these people who have learned from 30 years of experience of launching all these different rockets that – one bolt can make all the difference in the world right. between a successful mission and a failure. Uh, it, it's really, really neat to get that perspective on people. And unfortunately, the end of the space shuttle program means that we've lost a lot of people who have that background. Right. Uh, it's it's a mass exodus of people out from the East Coast. Same, the same way that when the Apollo program ended, you had guys who were engineers building rockets to go to the moon who were pumping gas afterwards. And they moved on, and, and I think a lot of those, uh, a lot of that experience, a lot of those stories, unfortunately, are lost because of that. And, and I think the same thing has has happened to some degree with the space shuttle program. Yeah. I think that the private industries are are trying to retain some of those folks, and I see that influx of people coming back to the East Coast now, which is really nice. But it's also never fun when, when um, you've got a lot of competition right now. It's, it actually is kind of a dog eat dog world these days over there. And so you've got Boeing and you've got SpaceX all competing. And, right. and uh, you know, I've got a family member who says, I don't, I don't know what the end of my contract, who's going to be signing the check at this yeah, point. And he says right. he's fairly certain he's going to be continue to be employed working on the, the Orion program. He just doesn't know if it's contractor A or contractor B who's signing that check for him. So it, there's a little bit of uncertainty there these days, but it's still exciting times. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I find really fascinating about SpaceX in particular is that they're using some of the startup models that we've been using in technology for the past 10, 15, 20 years, and he's applying that to the aerospace industry. And especially with building software for the specific spacecraft and all these components being reusable, being more like an aircraft, and he's kind of merging all these business models together to try to be profitable in the aerospace, which is actually really, really cool. Yeah, the competitive nature of uh, of the industry these days, actually, I think is is a good thing in some ways because you see companies like Boeing and you see SpaceX who are trying to build the next interesting thing in space travel technology. And you've right. got either even some other competitors who are trying to build um, 
space shuttle, I guess, scaled-down versions of the space shuttle. Yeah, the Sierra Nevada. Yeah, the Sierra Nevadas. You've got other people who who have been in technology for a long time who are now crossing over and and getting into this new commercial spaceflight industry. So in some ways, it's just like the software industry. Competition actually uh, can result in some pretty good things. I think the thing I worry about there is that we don't want to cut corners. Um, when it comes to manned spaceflight, right. human, human spaceflight, uh, I'll be politically correct there. When it comes to human spaceflight, you never want to go back to the days when um, the early space program in the United States where we were we were okay with cutting corners in some ways or, or maybe not taking the most safe paths to do things mm-hmm. because right. there was uh, competition with the Russians right. Right, in the space program. And I, in some ways, that competition is just internal now. It's, you know, is it Boeing versus SpaceX? I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where they're just going to completely compromise and say, yeah, we're just going to sign off on this, even though, uh, you know, it's, it's outside of the parameters for the launch. It's too cold, but we need to get into space. Right. But I do think that, uh, the, the generally the competitive nature means that maybe the design time that NASA would have taken, all the oversight uh, and, and all the red tape, you know, for as much as people complain about it, all those things were in place because, uh, we wanted to, to protect the lives of the people that were going up there. And I think that with the commercial space industry these days, that there might be a little bit less oversight associated with that. And I, I hope it doesn't ever come to any kind of a disaster. I mean, that would be the absolute worst case scenario mm-hmm. is we get so competitive about this that we lose the oversight and we have an accident. And I get it. Manned space flight means that there's going to be challenges. There's going to be disasters and accidents. But I, I'd like to think we've learned enough that We'll cut just enough corners to keep people safe, but still keep that competitive edge and get people back up there. Um, I, I hope that we don't have an accident, though. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, like you said, like, I really like how a lot of these companies now are, are making it more accessible, almost, I guess you could say, for a lot of people that just don't know about space or not as familiar with it as, as some others might be. So so do you have any suggestions or recommendations for, for people that are, are not necessarily into space or into flight as much as, as some of you guys are? Um, so the way they could learn, a way they could understand, and really they can, you know, really start to get into, you know, learning about what's happening in, in that space. Sure. Uh, NASA, actually, the NASA website has lots of great stuff uh, on it that you can go and learn. They've got resources for kids and for parents, and, and they've got a really great history archive uh, where you can go back and, and look back over the history of NASA and not just the human space flight programs, but all the unmanned things. I mean, we're mm-hmm. doing some pretty, really, really cool stuff, I think, with all the unmanned stuff. Mm-hmm that we've got out there. I don't think people realize that we've got uh, as many satellites going to other planets as we do. Right. Um, pay attention on Twitter is sure. another thing too. I and mean, we've got NASA's got a really great social outreach program. Um, heck, even apply for a NASA social. That was a really great way, I think, to get a jump start on what NASA's up to and connect with the people that are doing things in space. Um, they do these all the time. Even you know SpaceX is starting to do socials yeah. now too. You just have to apply. Go on the NASA website and look at what's coming up next and apply. There's lots of other great websites. Uh, Spaceflight Now is a really neat one. Um, they show everything that's going on in the space industry. They've got a, a launch calendar. So if you want to see what's happening, you know, maybe you're taking a vacation to Florida. Go over and see. Uh, you know, It's worth a 50-minute drive. And sure. if they've got a launch going up, even if it's uh, just a Delta Four, and I say that like it's a trivial thing. Right. That's a big launch. Yeah. It's really cool. It's a great way to, to experience the space program firsthand. Uh, there's nothing like seeing a launch up close. Right. But there's certainly, these days now with, with internet connectivity, there are certainly plenty of resources online that you can connect and learn more about rocketry. And, and heck, you could go, it, it's probably not as easy as it used to be, but you can go down to your local hobby store and you can buy pre-built rockets. Stick an engine in the back of mm-hmm. a rocket. You know, 20 bucks, you can buy a pre-built rocket, stick an engine in the back of the rocket and light it. 
and you've launched your own rocket. Right. And uh, it's a it's a really cool way, I think, to get a, a personal touch there. If you've got kids, or if you're just a geek and you like rocket stuff, sure. You know, it's a it's a great way to go out and and say, you know, I just made fire and made this thing launch. <laughs> that's fun. Yeah. I used to do it when I was a kid. I was big into rocket launches, just la- building my own rockets right. and launching them and and seeing how high I could make them go. It was, um, nice. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think even uh, I think for us as a as a family and and with kids going actually to Kennedy Space Center and seeing things firsthand and taking the tours. I mean, that affected our family a lot as far as we need to learn, we want to learn more. And there's museums all over the country, you know, there's, you know, in Houston, you know, they have their spaceport there and in California, DC, New York, and even in in uh, museum of sciences all across the country they'll probably have something on space flight there. And so you could kind of do the interactive exhibits and kind of go beyond what you could really do on a website and really, you know, see and touch and, and really experience some of that stuff. Yeah, there's definitely a couple of really good museums all throughout the country. Uh, in D.C., of course, you've got the Air and Space Museum. They've got the annex out at Adolis Airport where you can go out and see Discovery firsthand. Uh, and there's more there than just Discovery. They've got all kinds of other really cool planes from yeah, history. It's, it's really amazing. Uh, you can go to the U.S. Space and Rocket Center out in Huntsville. If you're passing through there, there's um, museums in Ohio that you can do things. They've got Endeavor out in California, and they've got Enterprise in New York now on the Intrepid. And, of course, Kennedy Space Center. There's all kinds of great stuff yeah. there. And uh, to the, I think the other, the other answer I'd give you to what can you do to connect your kids with space, go out and look up. Just go out in your backyard during the summertime. There's websites. NASA's got it. There's another website called heavensabove.com you can go to, and you can find out when the space station's flying over your head. And nice. just look at it. And it's really cool to, to go outside and to see it. It's just a big, bright object moving across the sky. And then when you realize that's six people on board of that thing that are moving faster than a bullet and they're living and, and working their daily lives yep. right above your head, right. uh, it's some pretty cool stuff. And then, you, like I said, you go back inside and you can watch on YouTube what they did earlier today or you can see the tweets that they've yep. been sending from space. And and uh, it's it's a really cool way and an easy way, I think, to connect and help your kids or help, you know, help your family members realize that there's some really cool stuff in space going on right above your head, literally. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when we talk about NASA, NASA is, a, you know, a public organization. There's really no secrets behind that. They're not like the Air Force when they run their, <laughs> their secret stuff and it's top secret. But NASA is completely open about what they're doing in their space exploration. Even the experiments that they're running, you could get really down and deep understanding of what they're doing and how those experiments are progressing, whether it's in the ISS or on the ground and whatnot. And even I think tomorrow, the New Horizons satellite is going to be going past Pluto. And there's been, there's a really great documentary, and I've only seen just a little bit of it on YouTube about that whole project and in getting to Pluto and getting some really great imagery from there. Yeah. Did you ever think when you were a kid, I I, I watched space shuttle launches when I was a kid. I don't think I really had an appreciation for this, but did you ever think that when you were a kid, you know, that 20, 30 years later, you're going to grow up and you're going to see, we've spent, sent probes to Pluto. We've sent probes to Mars. We've sent basically a car that's driving around on Mars right now. Yeah. And you can take a picture and you can look it up on your phone out of your pocket yeah. and see you know, where it's actually driving around on Mars at right now. Uh, I never thought when I was a kid that that kind of stuff would, I, I don't think I could have even dreamed when I was a kid that that kind of stuff would be happening. And now I actually think about, you know, I, I've got enough years left in my life that I might actually go into space at some point. I think that's a really cool thought. Yeah. I think Elon Musk is first. 
I think he'll be before you. <laughs> He's probably got deeper pockets yeah. to do that yeah. than I do. <laughs> he but probably yeah. does. Yeah. Just, yeah, but, but just a little bit, might, not much. You and I might get the chance, even to go suborbital, right? You yeah. and I might get the chance just to experience zero G or, or low gravity in a suborbital flight. And then to think that the way things are progressing these days and, and how rapidly technology advances, you know, our kids could be walking on the moon. You know, we could see our kids walking on the moon or Mars for that matter. You never know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really it's really interesting to think about. So, so for me and for a lot of people that are listening already know, like so I grew up in the Caribbean. So space was furthest from my mind, like growing up in an island, as you can imagine. But, you know, coming over and just looking to see how far we've progressed in technology in general, whether we're talking about space or food technology or anything like that, it's just it's just phenomenal to see how far we've come you know, in the past 20 years and, and how much more accessible it is for all of us, you know, because of the Internet, because of social media, because of just people that are just a little bit more willing, I find, today to share information than they, they used to be a little bit before. But like you said, like it's just so much so more accessible for everybody to be able to to get involved and to to learn about it and to really understand what exactly is happening. Yeah, and I think for for us as as parents and and mentors and and leaders of you know the generation that's coming up behind of us, it's very important that you know we we expose you know our kids, our families, you know the people that we care about, you know, to, to these different things that are happening. Because you know, again, knowledge is power, right? This is one of the things my grandmother always always used to say. Mm-hmm. So again, it's, it's really just important that, you know, we, we kind of push these, these things, right? Like it's not just, Hey, let's just go to work and go home. Yeah, but Hey, space is, say space is pretty cool. And, you know, let's, let's, let's see what's going on over there. And, you know, Hey, maybe by the time that you're my age, right? Like you might be flying into space too. While I'm, you know, on the porch in a rocking chair, like watching and being like, Hey, have a good time. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, it's definitely exciting times. I think it's definitely some scary times too. Sure. If you think back over history and you, when we were in school, we were reading all these textbooks and we were talking about the, the golden age of this or, you know, the, the industrial age of that kind of thing. And you think about what people thought when they were growing up during that and you realize you know, we are growing up during exactly one of those revolutionary ages yeah. right now when it comes to technology. Right. You know, I, I never thought much about it when I was um, when I was younger and I was on a Commodore 64. I, I could never have imagined that years down the road, you know, I'd have a Fitbit on my arm that tells me how many steps I've walked in the day yep. and I'd, I'd be able to see on my phone instantly mm-hmm. all that data and I'd be able to tie it all in with everything I've eaten during the day mm-hmm. and I can share that for better or for worse. I can share that with everybody <laughs> on the internet. And yeah, this whole thing called the internet, by the way, sure. where I can instantly look up anything that I really want to. Um, it's definitely an exciting time and technology and the pace that things are moving is really cool. But now that I've got kids, it's really scary at the same time. Yeah. You know, we think back to like my, my biggest struggle right now is, is screen time with my kids. Mm-hmm. They want to be on a screen all the time, especially my teenager son. He just wants to be on a screen all the time. And I think back, you know, okay, when I was a kid his age, I probably played my Game Boy like 20 hours a day and yeah. slept a little bit in between. But then I also think to myself, you know, the Game Boy back then couldn't connect to the internet. It couldn't download all kinds of crazy stuff and, and you couldn't share what you were doing on right. Twitch or stream anything or anything like that. And now the accessibility for technology for kids um, actually has me as a parent kind of worried sure. because you talk about how willing people are to share things. And, you know, there is a dark side to that, which is that people are so willing to give up their information because they think it's cool to you know connect with the guy across the world to play Boom Beach or something like that, right. and then all of a sudden you know you've told this person that you have no idea who they really are, where you live, right? Or you've shared some picture with him of your sister or something like that, and, right? And yeah. and I that's the other part. I don't think I would have ever imagined as a kid that I'd ever be worried about this kind of stuff. And 
And working in technology, especially, it, it makes me think, you know, is there something I can do that, that I'm doing more about this to help protect my kids or other people's kids? And it is very troubling at the same time, as cool as it is, it's very troubling to want to make sure that, uh, that your kids are protected, that they're not overexposed to the stuff and that they do have an appreciation for the things around them and an understanding of where you have to draw the line when it comes to technology and, right. and taking over your life. One of the things that I'd really love to see is whether it's at school or at home, you know, we establish some type of of etiquette, right? Like privacy etiquette, online etiquette, online behavior, right? I mean, and, and it's important for us to tell our kids, this is too much sharing. Like you need to dial yeah. it back a little bit. Yeah. You know, this is too much screen time. Like even for us, like m- like my son is nowhere on social media. He's two years old. I, mean, I really don't think he cares. But, <laughs> you know, but he, does he know what an iPad is? He does knows, he know how to sw- how he, to swipe through the iPad and launch applications? Yeah, he knows he knows what um YouTube is. He's a very fan of YouTube, and you can find Elmo and you know those type <laughs> of things. But like you said, he he spends a lot of time learning that way, and he's very much um like a finger learner, right? Sure. But again, it's, it's I think it's just very important for us to you know again going forward to, to establish some type of hey this is way too much sharing going on like or okay this is okay to share but this is not because as kids yeah. you know it's just like you know like the the floodgate is open right like hey let us let's all go right let's just send it all in and yeah. you know i'll think about it afterwards but you know that that obviously is not you know that's gonna lead to destruction i think you know we yeah need to I, that. I do think there's more that companies can be doing to step up you know microsoft's got the family safety built into their yeah. tools apple really doesn't do anything on ipods and it's that's scary to me because i talk to other parents i i put parental restrictions in place as best as i can sure so my kid can't just go unlimited app in-app purchases but there's other parents i talk to who aren't technologists they're not connected and they have no idea how to secure these things and they don't realize their kids are on snapchat you know they're kids who are like 10 years older on snapchat and sharing this kind of stuff so i do think that they're that in general companies can be doing more or should be doing more on that side of things to help protect people from it's almost like protecting people from themselves yeah yeah exactly yeah it was a really interesting conversation about space. Like me personally, I'm not a big space guy, as you could probably tell. But you know, it's you know having the, these types of conversations about things that I don't necessarily am an expert about or even know about. It, I always find them very interesting because now I've just learned something today, something now that I could go home and I could share with my family. Be like, hey, you know, I heard about this website. You could go check it. We could go look in the sky. And we could see, you know, we can see like um, the IIS go over over a night or something right. like that. Like I think that was very cool. I think in Miami we could see light pollution. That that's what we could see. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really hard to see stuff. Well, it was my pleasure. I appreciate you guys having me on the show, and I'm looking forward to hearing all the future podcasts. I've been listening to the episodes. I think you guys are doing a great job. That was a great conversation with Kendall. We want to thank him for coming on the show and sharing his passion about space exploration. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com or on Twitter at AFTK Podcast. You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, you can comment and rate us. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where we'll give you behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next week on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have a conversation with Visual Studio Product Manager, Dimitri Lyland. Really? We got someone from Microsoft on from the Visual Studio team? Yeah, dude. Dude. That's awesome, bro. It was a really fun conversation, too. I can't wait till people get to hear it. Yeah, it really was. And if you just thought Microsoft coders are just all code, no, there's some fun and games going on there. 
Definitely. See you next week. to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego! Sure. Thank off you very much. Off to Thanks. a really good start. But but I hear that you don't like our bonus tracks. I didn't say I didn't like. The bonus <laughs> I just wonder where the Batman voice came from. I don't know. <laughs> and and which Batman voice is it going to be? Because you've got the only Batman we know. Uh, you've got another one coming up now, though. Christian Bale. It's the only one I'm going to make fun of. You, you might. I don't. Because know. I'm we not going to make fun of Kevin Conroy because he's the man, right? Kevin but you've Conroy. got the old school Batman, right? Wait, Adam West? No, no, not the not Adam West. The Jack Nicholson, Michael era. Keaton. Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton is my favorite Batman. But yeah. I, no, I don't. I, he's not Batman. He's Bruce Wayne. See, that's the difference. He, he made a good Bruce Wayne, a very bad Batman. I don't think he was a bad Batman. I liked his Batman. So wait a second. If he's Batman, what does that make you? I'm Superman. Oh, okay. We he, haven't heard he the voices. Superman. We haven't he's heard Superman. the voices from the next movie coming up, have we? Did they put them in the trailer? Or the teaser? Oh, you mean for the Batman? The Batman versus yeah, no. Superman. Movie well, no, they had they had Robo Batman. They had Robo Man. So if you, I don't know if you, if you saw the trailer, he had like this very mechanical voice in the trailer. I wasn't a fan of it, but we'll see. We'll see what happens when the movie comes out. But just based on that alone, I'm not really excited to see this movie. Yeah, no. I'll see it on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs>